Joe, above all other names from my youth, there is one that still causes shivers to run down my spine whenever I hear it. It's like nails down a blackboard, you know that? And the name is Ramona. Ramona. Because the moment I hear that name, it causes me to relive some summer work I did in 1998, just before my uh, 16th birthday. I shall tell you how old I am. I was wondering if Tom was here. Is Tom here? <laughs> Tom's in kids' work. How old was Tom? In, how old was Tom? He was four then. <laughs> how old were you, Becca? How old were you, Becca? Ten. Ten. That's okay. That age gap is safe. Safe. <laughs> well, I was 15 this year. And um, this was probably the worst like, work experience of my life. You know, Ramona was a success. She was a big deal in the Bakewell Matlock deli scene. She owned not one, but two successful delis. And I understand that she had previously sold a third deli for a profit. Somewhere near Buxton. You know, this is not a small achievement, actually. She'd worked hard for this and was clearly good at what she did in terms of developing and selling on delis. But in Ramona's mind, she had built the business empire to behold. And this meant that working for Ramona was a bit like working for a really mean David Brent. She was the queen of her empire. Her ideas were best and her ways were the ways to do it. She was quite belittling of ways that weren't hers and ideas that didn't fit. And anything that wasn't done exactly as she wanted was wrong. Do you know, I remember mopping the floor of the deli. I'd spent a good bit of time on it. And I'd done it the same way that I'd done it in another of my jobs that I was working in that time as a silver service waiter. It was gleaming. I, I finished it up. And I remember Ramona coming in and seeing me on the final strokes of mopping this floor that had been walked over all day. And she picked me up. She was like, Matt, hold on a minute. You have not done that in a figure of eight, have you? I was like, no, I haven't done it in a figure of eight. And have you done one side, then the other side, then put it back? I was like, no, I haven't done that. She's like, you're going to have to do the whole thing again. I was like, but Ramona, it's, it's time to go. She's like, not until that floor has been mopped exactly the way I want it. In Ramona's mind, there was nothing of importance outside her empire outside the bubble of what she was doing. I don't think she once asked me about me or my life when I was working there, and I never saw her inquire about anybody else. If I said I couldn't do extra for her because of my other job or because we had family holidays, this really annoyed her. You could never meet the needs of Queen Ramona. And this ultimately made Ramona a really draining person than a, rather than a life-giving, energizing boss to work for. And I'm sure that as a 15-year-old lad, there were some elements of the job that I was doing wrong. But I'm also sure that Ramona had fallen t- into a dangerous way of thinking and living, that which I want to call today small kingdom thinking. Small kingdom thinking. What do I mean by small kingdom thinking? 
was a type of thinking where you only concern yourself with and give care for the immediate world around you and your place in it. Your kingdom. You only consider what is inside your bubble of influence as important and do not see or consider or care for what is happening beyond it. Small kingdom thinking. And Ramona, for me, is a living example of some of the very real but often unspoken risks for her, us and the way we live out our lives before others if we fall into this thinking. Just two of those would be this. Can you see that all right? Just about, just about. Now, firstly, we can become so concerned with our own bubble that we miss what's going on around us. We can lose touch with reality and become blind to what ha- what's happening in other people's lives. Secondly, this kind of small thing, can think, I don't know if you can see that, there's a guy with a really big balloon head there. <laughs> Secondly, this kind of small kingdom thinking can actually cause our ego and sense of self-importance to grow. Because as we put boundaries on the size of our world around us, as our world gets smaller, we occupy a bigger, more important part of it. Our opinions become more important, and we become more intolerant of those outside of it. They don't do things our way. They don't do things our way. They're outside our bubble. And because of these risks and some of those things that I saw in this time of work, Ramona's a bit of a living example of a pathway that I don't want to go down in my life. I don't want to get wrapped up in small kingdom bubble thinking of any variety, so consumed with what's going on in me and my thing that I miss out on what is going on around me and stop truly caring for others. I don't want my world and my concerns to become so small and narrow that my sense of self-importance grows and stifles humility taking root in my life. Where others feel really drained by being around me. And they're always, maybe you do feel like that. That's the case, I'm sorry. But they are always giving to me with no return. I don't want to be that. Ramona is a name of dread and warning to me, sadly. Reminding me that I don't want to get suffocated in my own bubble, and become an energy sapper rather than a life-giving servant. But why am I talking about my fear of Ramona this morning? No, as we look at this final chapter in this absolutely epic letter that we've been looking at, chapter 16, if you want to go to it in your Bibles, chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. I just want to read the uh, passage in full, and then I'll hopefully... Uh, explain to you why I'm talking about this lady and my experience of her. See if we can get this up. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. 
I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened up to me, and there are many adversaries. Adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it's not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, to know that the household of Stephanias were the first converts in Acacia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanias and Fortunatus and Acacius, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you the hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. There's a lot going on in it, isn't there? Do you know, so far in this series, we have said repeatedly that Corinthians has been about helping the church in Corinth be restored from its brokenness to a place where it shines bright with the gospel of Jesus Christ, full of health and life again. That's Paul's overarching aim in this letter. In this massive series, he has challenged so much stuff from divisions to how to interact with an idolatrous culture to avoiding sexual immorality, how to practice the Lord's Supper and having a right position and understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All things that Corinth need restoring for them to shine bright again with the gospel of Jesus. But sometimes as we come to the end of Paul's letters, particularly those last chapters in the Bible, we can sort of feel like he has just switched off from his main argument, can't we? Especially in endings like we see here in 1 Corinthians, like Romans and Philippians, where he starts focusing on what others are doing outside the church. He summarizes what's going on in their region. It can be like we treat these bits as though they aren't really scripture. This is just the roundup. So we switch off as well. I mean, very rarely will someone's favorite verse in scripture be where Paul said, remember Tychicus in your prayers. Oh yeah, that's the one that really, that really speaks to me. Remember Tychicus in your prayers. He was such a little guy. I love to pray for him. Just, that's the one. That is the one. Unless I'm wrong, you can correct me and rebuke me now if that's your favorite. (laughs) 
I don't know what line I've crossed yet. yet. But in all of these end passages, Paul is actually doing something incredibly <laughs> important for the churches. He's reminding the church to avoid falling into the trap of small kingdom thinking when it comes to the mission of God and the dangers that accompany this type of thinking. He's saying to the churches, do not have a kingdom view like this. Don't be like this. Where you are a big fish in a small pond and you forget everything outside your bubble. Instead, hold of you more like this. A big kingdom view where you recognize you are a small fish in a much bigger movement of God. And he's inviting them to see that this is the healthy way to be in church. In fact, in verse 19 here, he holds up the brothers in the churches of Asia, doesn't he? Who send their heartfelt love to Corinthians as a great example of the view that the church should hold. And this is where Ramona comes in. You see, small kingdom thinking and its dangers are not just for successful businesswomen. It's a clear danger for Christians and church communities and may actually be one of the key reasons, I think, that people get hurt and drained within a church. And I think this type of thinking can show itself in churches in a variety of ways that you've got to watch out for. I mean, perhaps you've seen some of them. Perhaps you've been part of a church community where slowly but surely some of small kingdom thinking have set into the leadership of the church. Where leaders and members of the church become uninterested or unwilling to give to anything going on outside of the church. Really critical of other strands of Christianity rather than trying to think about what's good in them, what they can learn from them. Judgmental of other ways of doing things that goes beyond just protecting people from bad thinking and bad teaching. Just shuns everything that's not of them. Their view of the mission of God is fixed on their achievements. Their trust in God goes up and down depending on whether they are being successful because they no longer have one eye on what he is doing in and amongst the nations. They see other churches and Christians as dangers rather than partners in gospel mission. Have you seen some of those things? I want to put to you that if you see those things, there's some small kingdom thinking that's crept in there. Or perhaps in a more individual form, you've met a lone wolf Christian who has shunned the wider church and Christianity. And it often starts with a bit of disillusionment because of maybe some of the issues above. But all too soon, their Christian world of one gets smaller as there's nothing around them to stretch or challenge or grow them. Their gripes are right, and they become hypercritical of others, fixed and unchallengeable. They're only ever concerned about what they are doing in the kingdom, and slowly become takers of life, not life-giving servants to the wider mission of God. They've been wrapped up in in their own small kingdom stuff. Some real dangers. Do you see those? These are just some of the ways the fruits of small kingdom thinking can manifest in our lives. And you know, these have clearly started to take root in Corinth as well in different ways. In verse 17, Paul indicates that as a church, they become absent from the wider things that were going on in the region. And we've seen throughout this letter that their stance to those ministering outside the church body had become really critical 
And much of their congregation's focus has become on their positioning within the church, being recognized and having their view upheld or not, and which view was right internally. It had become very focused on the small in this place, a very narrow view of mission in Christianity. And what Paul is doing here at the end of this passage is reminding them that the right and healthy perspective that protects us from the dangers of small kingdom thinking is actually far more like this here, this big goldfish bowl here. And he's there trying to help them sustain large kingdom thinking. And as we delve into this final chapter just briefly today, Paul lays out some really helpful principles to them to help them and us keep engaged in this wider perspective and help us sustain large kingdom thinking. I just want to have a look at them quickly if we can. Firstly, we see that him tell the Corinthian church to regularly and deliberately give to mission outside of themselves. 16, 1 to 4, at the beginning of the passage, there's a theme of saving up money and giving to Jerusalem, which is the hub of church mission and activity in the region at this time. In verse 2, I think this is the clearest. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collection when I come, so that I can take it to Jerusalem. Do I love this first challenge, actually? Of Paul here with finance. I'm freshly stirred in reading it. You know, he's not giving a sum. This isn't some unhelpful legalistic charge to put yourself in financial difficulty and giving all you have away to mission. Or to compare your giving to someone else. But it's a call to regularly take a proportion of the lot that God has given you and put it aside to financially support wider church mission and activity outside of yourselves. In the main, Paul is simply reminding his readers that the big mission of God's needs financially resourcing and that this is one of the things he wants us to do with the monies that God has given us. It's dead clear here. But there's a deeper point to be made here as well, as there is with every issue of giving, whenever it crops up in the Bible. In Matthew 21, the Bible tells us that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your passions and your loves follows the placement of your treasures. Your passions and your love follow the placement of the resources that God has given you in this world, world, where you place those so your heart follows. That's what it tells us. So if we actively just place all our finances in our own back pocket or in our energies to what we're doing or into our church, our passions and mindsets will follow. They will shrink down, shrivel up like a prune. We'll exchange big kingdom thinking for small kingdom passions. Yet the opposite is also true. If we understand that as we give our treasures away to things outside of ourselves, our hearts and minds remain engaged with it and grow towards it. Our passions keep engaged with the big kingdom mission of God as we become, and we become protected from some of those dangers of small kingdom thinking. Do you know, a, a great example and opposite to Ramona in history was this guy. A guy called Robert Gilmore Latornio. What a great name. Do you know, he was a businessman who, when he was in debt at age 30, resolved to be God's business partner with everything that he did. 
and to give his wealth generously to God's work. Through the course of his life, he became a hugely successful individual. He designed the forerunners to a lot of the the heavy earth-moving equipment we see today, and he designed the very first oil platform, which can give you an idea of the, the type of wealth he then amassed in his lifetime. Offshore oil platform. And rather than getting into small kingdom thinking about how he could constantly improve his own life and reinvest to his own success in his kingdom, as he grew his wealth and influence, he increasingly gave away what God had entrusted him with to the wider mission of God, to the point where he gave away 90%, of everything he earned to mission and addressing poverty. His lot was big, so he gave a big lot, do you see, regularly. And he was famously quoted when asked why he gave so much away. And he said this, it's not about how much of my money I give to God, but how much of God's money I keep for myself. Isn't that amazing perspective? They're all God's donuts if you've seen that skit. As he kept giving, his heart for broad kingdom was sustained and got bigger. He gave As he gave, he understood that he was serving a God with a much bigger purposes than the hugely successful sphere of influence God was giving him. He was always a healthy small fish in God's big mission. Giving regularly, as generously as we are able to, from the portion of money that God has given us, keeps our perspective of the scale of God's kingdom right and engages our hearts. So Paul is encouraging them to give to things outside themselves, deliberately engaging your heart in God's big mission. That's point one. Point two, I think he makes, is this. Help those who minister beyond or outside of yourself. Help them. In 16.5 to 11, as an extension of his first point, he says, where he says give financially, he says give help to those you know you know who are extending the kingdom of God. I think this is clearest in verse 6 and verse 11, where Paul talks about his and Timothy's missionary endeavors and asks the Corinthians to actively help them as they pass by, as they come across them, have good hearts towards them and support them as they seek to do their kingdom work. Now, Paul and Timothy were church planting, new ground taking ministers of the gospel. They were battered and bruised and attacked. But they were also just people. They needed encouragement and they needed care from the wider body. You know, those who God calls to give their lives to the hard work of advancing the kingdom of God need care as well as finance to do it. They need individuals and churches to be able to give their help, their time, their prayer, their practical support to achieve this. Do you know, in preparing this again, I looked again at the life of Hudson Taylor. You familiar with him? A missionary took the gospel across China in incredible ways. But as you look at his life, there are times when Hudson Taylor fell ill. Hudson Taylor got discouraged. Hudson Taylor felt uh, lost his wife and felt lost and was grieving. At those times, he fell back on friends. He came back to England, and people supported him 
and loved him until he was able to continue with his massive mission of taking new ground for the gospel. Without those people, he would not have been restored to health. That mission would not have continued. It is as simple as that. He was on his death's door a couple of times. Creatively helping meet the needs of individuals and being in partnership relationships with people who are advancing big missions so that we can help and encourage them enables the big mission of God. It allows God to go forward through his people the way he's designed. But also, just as with giving, caring for others on mission outside of ourselves expands and engages our hearts again in the big mission. Do you know, we got some great friends from back in Leeds, John and Leslie Davy, and they were a couple who were called to China. And I'm sure you'll get to meet them sometime. And I was fairly bad at staying in touch with them, to be honest. But every year they would come back on sabbatical. And, as, and we as a church would get to eat with them, pray with them, give to them, care for them, prophesy over them, and see them renewed to go back for another season. But this not only encouraged them, but it lifted our heads again to what was going on by God in China. It re-engaged us with what he was doing. He was doing some truly incredible things. It caused us to be on mission with them beyond our borders and protected us from small kingdom thinking. That's the second point you make. Give. Care. Last one's receive. Be refreshed by those outside your bubble. 16, 12 to 18, receive, he talks about receiving those who mature in spirit, refreshers that are outside your immediate church bubble. 17, verse 17, I think this is clearest. I rejoice in the coming of Stephanias, Fortuitous, and Acacius, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. You know, when we, own, when we have small kingdom view that only looks within for blessing, or is mistrusting and judgmental of those outside ourselves, we miss something about the character of God. That he is lavishly blessing multitudes of mature, healthy, spirit individuals with abundance of gift in different movements for the advancement of his big mission and the encouragement of the church. So that's quite a wordy, wordy line, isn't it? Basically, he is blessing lots of people to advance his mission in lots of ways because he's a God who loves to lavishly bless and give. And actually recognizing and receiving these individuals actually brings refreshment and encouragement to us when we do. I I loved having uh, Judah here last week. Wasn't it great to have Judah here? Because that's a living example of this point, I believe. What a blessing. What a provocation to recognize again that we have the spirit in us to love and bless a people by reaching out practically and vocally with the gospel. The only word I could describe to use what happened to me last week was that I was refreshed by him and his gift. I've never met the guy before, but he was full of the spirit of God. I am pleased to call him my brother and he restored my soul in a way it needed restoring. It was deeply exciting for me. Do you know what I'm talking about, those who are here? Yeah? Did you feel the same way? Yeah. But as well as that, God reminded me afresh that the mission, even just in Liverpool, is so much bigger than just Freedom Church. 
that as people are stepping out in this city, people are responding to the gospel in this city. And that God is anointing people far beyond our borders. I believe he's called and anointed us as well and he's good to us. But we're part of a bigger mission here in Liverpool. It protects me again from small kingdom thinking. So give, care, receive. I think those are the things that we see here. Give, care, receive. You know, church, the mission of God is massive. It is a global thing. Where Jesus wants to captivate so many people, utilize millions of souls in preaching, teaching, and fishing for the lost. In fact, this picture doesn't quite cut it. His mission is more like this. We're this little sailboat in this ocean of God's activity because he's a massive God, full of wonder, excitement, and reaching out to the lost. He's a borderless God, a bubbleless God. Grasping and maintaining our understanding that we are part of the big through actively practicing and engaging with giving beyond ourselves, caring for missionaries and others, receiving and listening to people who God is blessing in that big mission is vital for our health as a church because it prevents the stifling effects of small kingdom thinking. And this is Paul's final drive. This is his full stop in his message to the Corinthians in seeing them restored to health as a church. Remember that you are part of a much bigger mission. Give to it. Care for those in it and receive from the wider. Protect yourself from puffed up, self-centered, small kingdom bubble thinking that can infect so many small organizations, leaders and individuals. Passionately be and serve as that small, humble fish in his big ocean mission. And you will keep on the right tracks of health. Full stop. Corinthians done. Go and shine bright with the gospel. Thanks for listening this morning.